Merry Christmas! Apologies if you're not feeling in the festive mood yet. Quite clearly I am. Um, That's because I am inching my way towards finishing for Christmas. Um, I say finishing. We've still got podcasts coming at your ears over the entire festive period. Some very brilliant and wonderful and exciting guests. Because we love what we do and there's also so much to watch. So maybe you've been to the cinema to see the new Avatar. Uh, Maybe you're enjoying some brilliant films at home like Emily, which is up on uh, streaming services. Glass Onion is on the way on Netflix. It did have a very short cinema release, but it's coming your way just before Christmas on Netflix. More on that shortly. But there's just an abundance of things to watch. And that's one of the things that I love about Christmas is just kind of hunkering down with his with my body weight and cheese and enjoying as many films as is physically possible so yeah all very very exciting and we're very excited actually about our latest guest on soundtrack and the Mexican filmmaker Alejandro Gonzalez Iñarito I'm quite happy that I can say his name now Um, I remember interviewing him and his cast for The Revenant at many moons back but as we were about to go on stage we were interrupted by the uh, security curtain coming out on the stage because Leonardo DiCaprio had set off the fire alarm with his vape and it threw me and I've to this day devastated by how I pronounced Alejandro's name. Needless to say I've been practicing and I think I've got it I think I've got it I think I've got it good now. Anyway Alejandro's latest offering is Bardo, False Chronicles of a Handful of Truths, a semi-autobiographical tale that follows a journalist and documentarian who returns to his native country of Mexico and begins having an existential crisis in the forms of dreamlike visions. That's me going into Christmas. I thoroughly enjoyed this film. Now if I can say a couple of things to you, this film was available in cinemas. I'm not sure if it still is. If it is and you can find it, go and see it on the big screen but it is also available on Netflix and what I would say which is kind of, I don't know, slightly slightly ironic as you're about to listen to an episode of this podcast soundtrack and with him talking about it is to try not know too much about the film. But what I would say is don't go in with expectations, just go with the film, let it take you where it takes you, Um, let it kind of, think of it almost as a, this is weird to say, but think of it almost like a bit like a a flying carpet, get on and go on the journey because I love this film so much, there were so many things about it, I love the performances are extraordinary, the palette, the world that he's created, the music, You'll hear us talk about this particular scene that involves a David Bowie track. It's proper. I don't think I breathed for the entire duration of that scene. I just thought it was extraordinary. Also, I kind of related quite a lot to the main character because having had to leave Scotland uh, many moons ago to try and get work in the field that I wanted to work in, it was a real bittersweet moment of having to leave, not wanting to leave, but if I wanted to follow my dream, that was what I had to do. But feeling that pull back and any opportunity that I get to go back to Scotland and work there is kind of, is a given really. So I, I really related to that side of it. And yeah, there are so many things you can take away from this film, but go watch it, go enjoy it and just don't kind of go in there with expectations. Kind of go in there as a blank canvas and let it take you on the journey. And as well as co-writing and directing the film, Alejandro also collaborated with the wonderful friend of the podcast, Bryce Desner on the score. Uh, and it's with one of their cues, Migration Dreams, that we'll begin. <laughs> Thank you. 
Alejandro. How are you? Very good. And you, how you been? I'm very, very well, sir. Thank you. Um, I am, however, uh, still almost kind of living your film, which I had the absolute pleasure of seeing yesterday. It stayed with me. It's kind of almost a reflex in a way. It feels like my mind and my kind of physically also as well is kind of just reacting to the film on so many levels. It's, it's so powerful. It's so beautiful. Uh, and I find it quite hard to describe, to be honest, but huge congratulations. Thank you very much. The last time that I had the pleasure of being in your company, it was a slightly awkward situation where I was hosting a Q&A with you and your wonderful cast, The Revenant, in London. And we were about to go on stage and the security curtain closed in front of us uh, as we were about to take to the stage, which was kind of <laughs> comedy timing, but was one of those situations I will never forget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, listen, music plays a, a massive part in this in this film, as with all of your films, actually. But before we get into that, I hope you don't mind if we we talk about the film more in general, because obviously there's there's a lot of you in this this story, and you know, and and I can relate to so much of that. I left Scotland 25 years ago to move to London to explore, you know, my 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 journey, my career. But what was the catalyst to write the story to explore this character? What kind of instigated you? wanting to tell Silverio's story? I, I think it came from um, difficult to, to explain because obviously, it, as you saw yesterday, it's, 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 this film is more like a sensorial dream and slices of feelings and emotions and fears and, and, and things that in a way are very elusive. So uh, in a way, there's logic does not have a, a place. Mm. So trying to... <laughs> trying to Explain it in a way is a way to betray actually the film. Yeah. To not be silence. <laughs> I can tell you that it was it came from a need, you know, a need mm-hmm. to make some sense of certain things that has been convoluted in my own feelings inside about decisions that I made long time ago, especially being emigrate from Mexico City to California with my family that we never had a plan to stay long. And then suddenly in a, in a flash, 21 years has happened and all the things that has happened, the way they have happened, the things that I found myself telling about stories that suddenly said, hey, that happened 20 years ago. And I said, really? It happened? I thought that it was two years ago. So I think it come to with the part that I'm I'm 59 years old and things, time and space start being kind of crushed. And I think the way to put together and recoup some memories, personal, intimate memories, and reflect on things that I have screwed or I have regret or I have enjoy and things that I have lost and all my family have lost. And now the outcome of it is like to make sense of all those things and recoup a collective memory of our family and our country and the things that shape us. So it's a complex way to, to let you know what exactly <laughs> triggers, but those things, the elusive nature of that and what it creates as an immigrant, it was really make me feel that I need to explore and express how I have been feeling about it in the last years, you know? Well, I, I almost kind of don't want to talk too much about the film it needs to be an experience for people. You need to kind of go into this and, and allow the film to almost kind of just to, just to get on the journey and experience it, you know. So I don't want to pick it apart too much for people because I want them to have similar experience that I had. But just from what you said, and there's that brilliant, one of many beautiful things that are in the script where that idea that memory lacks truth. 
you know, and it's all because it, everything, all memories have an emotional connection. I think that's one thing that your film does will just make people reflect on their own existence and their own emotions and memories and experiences. And yeah, so I think there's something incredibly meditative and therapeutic in your film as well. And I hope you take that as a compliment. No, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, that's ha- kind of what I found myself by doing this film or the need or there's a very liberating aspect about when you find, or at least I found that memory lacks truth and only possess emotional conviction. Because sometimes I will not be able to write a film autobiographically because my memory is a mess because Mm -hmm. I don't have memory of my childhood. I cannot build my life from there because everything is blurry. But I have emotional conviction of things that I truly not only uh, live and feel, but I know that they shape me as a human being and this is a result of who I am now and allow me to explore these things from not claiming truth. Mm -hmm. This is my life. This is my journal. This is what happened. But speaking about them uh, in cinema through the emotional truthfulness of that without claiming the truth, but to be truthful, which is different and honest, that really liberated me. And that's the nature of this film. Mm. I had the absolute joy of spending quite a bit of time actually with Bryce um, over the years in various forms. Uh, One of the things he gave me a little bit of an insight into something I wasn't aware about your background, which was that you were a radio DJ and a very successful one as well. That's my background as well in the UK. And um, I wondered whether that's been an important journey for you towards how you then speak with music and communicate with music through your films in terms of that world that you inhabited with music being, you know, kind of around you the whole time in that world, whether that informs or has informed the decisions that you've made going into filmmaking and where music, you know, where music is important. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, I was a uh, five-year host and DJ playing the music that I want in a very successful radio station in Mexico City. And I I was 20 years old and uh, listening music every day and uh, going into that world, which is exactly what I love more. I think I love more music than film. <laughs> and I'm a frustrated musician, I have to say. And I was used to have a three-hour show where I put music and I have chronicles of things, commentary, essays, short stories, personal, you know. And I think that that's the chronicle part of the subtitle of Bardo is that, that true uh, pastiche and a collage of things, you can tell a story. And, uh, and I think <laughs> now that you are bringing in a way, it was like a way to be from inside, uh, you know, narrating uh, mm-hmm. something and sharing with music uh, a little bit that what is important and the way I tried to get the music here with Bryce, which was an incredible experience, a second time experience working mm. with Bryce, helped me a lot. Like, there was a, a musical element that was always present in the conception of this film. You know?
there are there are different you know the music plays different parts within the film you have that diegetic music i love that scene in you know when they're at his celebration and the the band's played and then you the daughter claps her hands and we have that jaw-dropping moment where you have that i don't know if it's just the kind of single cell of david bowie's vocal I, i don't think i breathed through that entire kind of section of the film because it's so powerful do you mind talking about the kind of conversations that you had about? I mean, so much of the music must have been written into the script in terms of how it in- informs emotion or narrative or whatever, how much the music was written into the script and then talking to Bryce about where he fitted in and the music that you needed from him and all those different elements to music within the film. There's two aspects. One is the music, let's say the the, the original, the, the, the score, let's say, and the other one is the tracks or the, 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 the pieces of music that exist yeah. that were conceived. Uh, I think these, these songs that you heard in that uh, uh, party, I thought about them and I integrate them in the script. They were absolutely selected and actually we rehearsed with the band that play uh, the Willie Colon and Hector Lavoe song and then the La Pava Congona, which is an amazing cumbia. Mm. And this band rehearsed, and we put them with another two Argentinian guys, Dan and Milo, which live in Mexico. And this band, uh, really, I want them to perform very close to what really the original songs were. That was amazing um, uh, songs that I love personally. <laughs> David Bowie's song was something that came to me because I wanted in that scene to really capture the, the joy and, fee- and freedom mm. that this character in his own intimate world is <laughs> having a way that he is allowing himself to recoup the joy, the colorful life, an exotic kind of vibrancy of Mexico City in this cathedral of music that is called the California Dancing Club that actually is a, is a mythic kind of room that it's, it allows 14,000 people with big bands. So this is, this is a moment that he's capturing and, and living with his daughter and son and friends, all that joy. And I thought that it's happening in his mind and when we are singing a song, a song that we love, when we are just mumbling the lyrics, that's how we live inside ourselves, right? We take out the music because we don't <laughs> have the music, but it's a very interior experience that we have when we are just, you know, uh, doing the songs and singing ourselves the song of a, a song. So I, I wanted to transmit that this is a very interior, joyful moment of him. And, the, and, and obviously... The lyrics of Let's Dance are so, in a way, funny and lightful and, you know, just liberating with no nothing thing. And it happened, too, with, uh, I have to say, that uh, Genesis song, which, that when they are making love in their bed, and it's beautiful. And I did the same with Jose Jose, which is a crooner in Mexico. That is my favorite singer in Mexico, that he passed away. But it's that kind of thing that I thought that every song 
should be always without the music because it just belongs to what he is mumbling inside. That's what I wanted to achieve, you know. Mi niña es quien pone una esperanza con su amor en cada día. Quien con solo una sonrisa me devuelve la ilusión y la alegría, mi niña, me ha enseñado cada instante a encontrar. I mean, we we very rarely get that opportunity though to hear music like that anything you know that kind of that that just that cell of his vocal uh, that, that musical kind of stem of his vocal and to hear his breath in between saying the words and you can just hear the bleeding in from his headphones of the of yeah. the the music and it's so you it makes your it makes you really kind of perk up and listen even more attentively why that song was that your choice was it something that i don't know it's just but it's perfect it's, it's because it was perfect, I have to say. <laughs> As a DJ, I select the right song for that moment, for what I want that moment to be in the film and what I want it to be for Silverio moment, you know, which is, yeah. again, the lyrics are basically just playful. Put on your red shoes and down and, and dance the blues. Let's dance, you know. So in a way, it's just an invitation to liberate yourself and I think Daniel, the the the, the oh. actor, he just embraced that sensorial and sensual movements of being away from everybody and just let himself enjoy himself and and enjoy all what he is going through in that moment. And and I think that lyrics of Bowie and as you said, to be naked with Bowie, I think yeah. it's a, he always found it very very hunting the moment, you know.
I just saw the film yesterday and I can't, I, I can hardly read my notes. There's really different textures to parts of the cues as well, of the, the score that, that Bryce and yourself, because you're credited as well as the, you know, creating the music that's in there. Do you mind talking about a little bit about about the cue, the score and, and what you and Bryce created and what, what you were trying to do with that? Because I do feel like there is an element of kind of almost that romance between him and his wife. So whenever they are having moments together, it does have a certain theme to it. And, you know, there are different things at different times and the mariachi, I don't know if, if I'm being offensive by calling it that, but the trumpets and the brass, they come in at cer- certain times as well. Yeah, you know, I, I had the privilege to work with Bryce Desner in, uh, in The Revenant. And he, he basically helped to get the, the third act of, of The Revenant. And um, I met him through Gustavo Dudamel in a concert in the LA uh, Philharmonic where he presented a new work and I was really stunned about his work. And I said, mm. who is this guy? And then I knew that suddenly this guy was the guy from the Nationals. National. <laughs> this guy from the Nationals can be creating this amazing, you know, classic contemporary music piece. So I became a fan of him. So he came into the Revenant with, uh, with Ryuji Sakamoto at the end. And it was incredible collaborating mm. with him and we became friends. And, uh, but during the whole when I was writing with Nicolas Giacobone the script that it took me like almost four years, I knew that the sound of this film and the texture of this film has to be with metals. I love these metals. That is not mariachi. That is very different. I think these are yeah. very old, ancient bands that exist in Mexico around all the states in different traditions and different sounds. But the, the, the ones that are very close to me are the Oaxacan bands, which in a way always, they are very, always they have this music that is very similar to the Jewish music or the Serbian music. I will say kind of almost like a universal music of human beings, ancient, that in a way has a nostalgic, melancholy feeling that you can play that in a wedding or you can mm-hmm. play that in a funeral. <laughs> you know, yeah. you can live through a kind of a, a, a sad emotion or a happy emotion, but they have this kind of bipolar nature. And in Mexico, these, these people normally are not like academic musicians. They are humble guys that plays a lot in towns for weddings or celebrations. And they are always slightly, deliciously, exquisitely out of tune.
that because I, I want this to be that, and I want that to be the skin and the texture of the thing. I knew that, but I didn't know exactly. And and there was a there's a something that happened in the film that is the whistle that he's wondering yeah. what is the whistle, and that happened to me. My father was a great whistler, and there was a whistle that I forgot that I have been looking for it, and I don't remember exactly how was that whistle oh. and where where that come from, and. I, during the script, I was whistling songs or not songs, like melodies that I was just mumbling melodies. So when Bryce and I start working, I sent him those whistles and he loved it. And he said, Alejandro, this is, we should depart from these whistles. <laughs> so we start working <laughs> up, up on that. So it was an organic collaboration that I just brought that during the years of whistling that he found it very generally to depart from that. And then we, we, I started working with him, but honestly, he's the master. And I was just part of this process together that I, that I learned a lot and I enjoy a lot with him to going through this. And then he come to Mexico and we did that. relationships in this film as well are just absolutely extraordinary your cast is is kind of so beautiful the chemistry between individuals and groups of people as well it just kind of it explodes off the screen it really is absolutely stunning I love as well that whole segment of the in the tv studios we, we know that how beautifully you can craft a, a story you know the way that the Birdman was that that was just a feat of just brilliance but I love the whole kind of craft of that element of the film with the TV show and the colour scheme of that and the, the cha-cha-cha and the continuous show. And even we can hear the sound of their mics being put on as they sit mm -hmm. down to do the interview. And there's just kind of little moments in that, but there is so much in it. I almost want to just watch that part on its own to pick, to sort of find all these things in this kind of treasure trove. And, and that as well has got a different sound and a different texture to it as well. And that marriage as well between your sound designers as well with Nicholas and Martin, Nicholas and Martin, is it? And, and how they work in you know, the line between music and sound is so blurred because it's a collaboration, isn't it, for you? That, that's so important, that relationship. Absolutely. I think the team that I was uh, working was amazing. I think Nicolas Becker, which I have never worked before, and Martin Hernandez, which I have been working all, the, all my films, he has been the sound designer. So in this case, uh, the collaboration with, with Nicolas was crucial because I think Nicolas come from this world to that he has done a lot of art installations mm -hmm. come from a very very interesting sensorial audio world that he brought to the to the screen so all these things that i'm so glad that you are mentioning that you were able to really got it was a huge amount of work and and decisions making that nicolas and uh, and carolina santana and martin hernandez and then the, obviously John Taylor, the, the mixing, and Lean Feinstein. I mean, I can name all these teams, but <laughs> we really got so much and we worked so hard in that everything has a kind of a, kind of a narrative from the consciousness, mm -hmm. this character, that the point of view of being living or reconstructing a life from from where he is living that through a dream at the end of the film and everything happened as you 
in a way live your life through a dream, that has to have that sound that you appreciate. You know, it, it was a very delicate way to, to navigate between what is real and what is a dream. Mm. What is fiction and what is, you know, factual. All that uh, perspective of foreground, middle ground, background, it was a lot of work to find those sounds can be dreamy. So yeah, mm. they did an amazing, amazing, amazing job. There's a lot of work there. How, how do you know when you want to, you know, when you're, I, I don't know whether you're, you're storyboarding or, or how it's working, but when you know when you want a scene to be, you know, a continuous shot, or whether it needs to be, it has, needs to have more edit points in it, because it's it's such an important part to the fluidity of the film, to the story, the journey of the character, you know, where we are particularly in this film in terms of dream state, reality, that kind of thing. You know, how much do you react to when you're shooting and how much is kind of pre-planned and stuff? Are you, are you quite open when you're shooting? You go, actually, do you know what? We need to shift this. This needs to be something that's got more fluidity to it. Or what's that journey? No, I think this film has been the most, uh, I will say, planned, uh, preconceived uh, film that I have had in my life. I mean, I think I, because I think to build a film as uh, this one, which demands to be built and subordinate from a state of mind, mm. um, this film is in a state of mind. It's from the consciousness of this guy that is between life and death. So to create that sensation that something is real, but there's something off as it happened in your dreams, to translate that or to try to flesh out that in a, in a film demands a, a very great deal of precision. I storyboard every shot. I, I preconceive all of them. Uh, and, and because I have to stop two times with the, because the pandemic, it gave me a lot of time to, to rehearse and to block every sequence and understand how to shoot it in order to serve better the purpose that the audience can live through this sensation that this guy from his bed is experiencing and memorizing all these things. Mm -hmm. So all the decisions that I did was based on the point of view of the character and what I want the audience to be going through his steps, you know? It was, it was a very controlled, no improvisation. There was no room. <laughs> Everything was pre-planned, yeah. Wow, that's extraordinary. I mean, the casting as well, Daniel, is just, I kind of just want to spend like a, a week kind of immersing myself in every performance that he's ever done because I just sort of completely fell in love with him on, on screen. I think he's extraordinary. How was that process of finding your cast as well? Because the relationships are beautiful. Even the simplicity of that beautiful scene at the end of the film where he's in the pool with his daughter, you know, and it's just such a, a simple shot and it's a beautiful, it feels such an organic and natural conversation between these two characters to, you know, the slightly more heightened experiences of him as well. But, but finding your Silverio, was it always going to be Daniel or? Talk to me a little bit about that. One thing I want to mention before that, because that has to do with the Daniel thing. I think something that I want to point out here is the work, too, that I had the privilege to work for the first time with Darius Konji, the, the cinematographer. The yeah. Thing. With Darius, the way this, this film looks and the way we block the scenes has to do a lot with his talent because he's a painter. <laughs> so the challenges of making scenes like the dance cloth, the design of lighting and the camera movements or scenes like the immigrants or scenes that are huge. 
And every little kind of thing, I think with Darius, I found like a brother that I have never met in my life. And where have you, you where you have been in my last few <laughs> But I think with Darius really has to do a lot with that nature of dream kind of a state that we both work very, very precisely. And then it comes Daniel, which in a way he's carrying in his shoulder the film with his performance and his physical presence that the work that the camera mm. and Daniel has to do blocking things to make it work, it, you need an actor of that caliber to physically really fit that. And the rhythmical nature and the, what, how can I say, the, there's an internal rhythm of the camera. I always said that you can have a great script. It's like if you write a symphony, right? And it can be a beautiful symphony, but at the end, it's a symphony for piano or it's a symphony for violin. Mm -hmm. If the violin player is bad, no matter how good your symphony is, it's bad. <laughs> what I'm saying, in this case, it was a symphony wrote for Daniel. And the way he performed his instrument, which is his body and his soul and his eyes and his... I think what he did with very fragile movements, with the camera here, with the wide angle, and then all this choreography, I think that his performance, in a way, is always just observing this liquid reality. And I think he did something that is very difficult, very, 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 very difficult to convey, you know, especially because this very complex uh, uh, design of the film is mm. embodied in a, an incredible work. You know? And even that kind of, sort of simple thing as well, where he's got dialogue to deliver and half of, you know, half of what he has to say is, is verbalized and half of it is, is kind of, you know, that's, a, that's not, it, it might sound like an easy thing to do, but it's not, but it's done so well. And it's such a clever part of this film as well, in terms of the journey that we're on as an audience, in terms of this character and what's going on with them to, to make that decision to do that. People get a lot of things as the film is moving. You know, I think the people, I don't want to ruin it, but I think there's a lot of these kind of elements of the audio design about this guy being able to be talking without his lips moving. Yeah, and then yeah. little by little, you, everything starts to make sense. But it's like a dream. Something mm. is off. And I think it's intriguing. And, uh, but I think it's the reality in the nature of his state of mind. Yeah. Did you play music on set? Yeah, I know there are scenes obviously where there are there are musicians and bands and things going, but do you, you know, in terms of do you play music on set? Only only in the dance scene, only in the club. Mm. I wondered whether you're taking your DJ skills from years gone by onto set. No, no, because all the, <laughs> all, the, all the music was done in this case, different from Birdman, for example, that uh, Antonio Sanchez played the drums and then we record and mm -hmm. I was playing set. I think in this one, I think Bryce and I did the music and the score much more after. After yeah. it was edited, basically. Amazing. Well, listen, um, thank you so much for your time. Um, it's really great to get to chat to you about it. And I, I can't wait to see the film again because I know I'm going to get even more from it as well. Thanks, Alejandro. Have a great day. Take care. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you for... for I'm very happy that you got the film so, so well. And I appreciate it. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much.
From the score to Bardo, that's back to the womb, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the fabulous Alejandro González Iñárritu. My huge thanks to Alejandro for taking the time to talk to us. You can watch Bardo in selected cinemas and on Netflix now. Uh, we've spoken to the wonderful Bryce Desner a couple of times before and you can find those interviews by heading to edithbowman.com along with every other episode of the podcast. And you do that by just searching their name or the film. So there's lots of ways of finding um, connections to things that you want to listen to. Please, if I can also encourage you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtrack in UK. And also please subscribe to our YouTube channel too for loads of extra content. I'm about to upload the uh, the video of my chat with Alejandro. So it's a slightly different format than you get on the podcast because obviously Ben does his beautiful um, kind of tapestry of weaving in the music. And up on YouTube, we just kind of stick up the raw interview. And um, so it will be up there at some point as well a very special guest that is coming very, very soon. In fact, later today, I believe. Uh, Because next up, I mentioned Glass Onions earlier. And again, it's a film I don't want to tell you too much about. It's the next film in the uh, Knives Out sagas. Uh, This is Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, again written and directed by Ryan Johnson, who is phenomenal. Also coming up soon on the podcast. Uh, But it sees the return of Benoit Blanc, played by none other than Daniel Craig. We are beyond thrilled that Daniel agreed to and wanted to come and chat to us on Soundtracking about music. Didn't know what he let himself in for. But I'm thrilled to say that our next guest on Soundtracking is none other than Mr. Daniel Craig. And I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.